Hello and welcome to the latest in our Scotland's Future Series podcasts by the University of St Andrews. And today we're not looking at a particular Scotland's Future Series podcast, but we are looking at a really important issue that many of you will have picked up um, in the media, which is the ongoing protests in Iran. And I'm really fortunate today to be joined by two experts, two Iranians, two experts. Um, and I'm joined today by our University of St Andrews colleagues, um, Dina Nayeri, who's a writer of fiction and non-fiction, um, was a refugee um, from Iran, and also a lecturer in our School of English. Dina, welcome today. It's really good to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Thank you. And we're also joined by Professor Ali Ansari, who is a professor of Iranian history in the School of History. Ali, it's Great to have you on. Very good to be here. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, there's a lot going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Cost of living crisis, you know, recession, the Russia's war in, 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 in Ukraine. Yet we have these momentous events mm. going on in Iran that are maybe not getting the attention that they might do at other times. Can you just, just for the benefit of people listening in, can you just talk to us a little bit about what's happening in Iran? What's the background? Just give us an introduction to what, what people might be watching well, on their television. Yes, now. I mean, this is, this is the latest in the series of protests against the regime, which has sort of basically uh, challenged, the, uh, challenged the regime at least since, um, I mean, I would trace it back to 2009, but this recent spate of protests probably began in 2017. We had some quite serious protests again in 2019. Um, lots of casualties. Um, this time, what's quite interesting about it is that the protest has been catalyzed, has been sort of uh, kick-started by, it's, it's, it's an overtly political protest, and it's about women's rights and the right to basically to choose whether you wear uh, the Islamic veil. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of um, the death of a, a, a young Kurdish woman in uh, uh, when she was arrested for apparently not wearing uh, 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 the veil properly. Um, has basically sparked the most extraordinary range of uh, protests across the country. Um, I think in breadth and depth, they are uh, certainly, I think, the most serious challenge that the Islamic Republic has faced since its inception. That's interesting. I, w I want to come back to that mm. about the serious challenge to, sure. to the Islamic Republic. But, Dina, I, I want you to talk about... I mean, Ali just touched upon these people are out protesting extraordinarily bravely mm -hmm. um you're a refugee from iran you've got experience you've still got friends and family in the country can you just give us give us a little bit of the human side of this because it's one thing to talk about you know yeah, it's absolutely. really important when we hear ali talking about the the history but give us a sense of what's driving people to to protest what's the lived experience in iran not least for for women who live there you know that's something that i think it people would be really interested to sure. hear. Sure. You know, we've had this regime for about 43 years now, mm. you know, from the year I was born, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's the only Iran that I that I know. Um, mm. But it's very different from the Iran of my parents. Mm. Um, you know, and, and you, you know a little bit about the pre-Islamic Republic mm. Iran. Um, it, it's a very uh, diverse place. It's, it tends to be actually a kind of privately secular place. So mm -hmm. People are, um, you know, rooted kind of more in Persian culture and in, in, in its history and food and, 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 and literature and music and all of these kind of very rich cu cultural things. And life in Iran, I guess, um, for most Iranians, is something um, really nostalgic and really full of flavor and full of mm -hmm. um, community and love. And so in 
you know, 43 years ago, uh, when there were protests against the Shah, and, and, and very quickly, I guess, those protests and the revolution was kind of hijacked, and then we became an Islamic Republic. Um, this, uh, I think, was um, a shock to that generation, but also it completely changed the kind of Iran that we lived under, my generation lived in. I went to Islamic Republic school. Um, I wore a very strict veil for three years. Um, for second and third grade, I had the magnet, you know, which is kind of wow. the academic superstar. Yeah. Second and third grade, what kind of age is that? Just oh, for people who are used to the Scottish system. Of course, system. the Scottish yeah. system. Yeah. <laughs> so from the age of six to eight. Wow. So as a six-year-old. Yes, yeah. as a six-year-old, I was put under, and when I say the academic super scarf, I'm talking about not like the Jackie O look, but kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like a scarf that covered everything, a stray hair, and the teachers would slap you on the wrist with a ruler. Um, you know, you tucked it in, it was sweaty and itchy, and then yeah. you also wore a manteau all the way to, the, to, to your feet. And, you know, of course, I went to an all-girls school as well. Yeah. We didn't have the benefit of an English or French education as our parents had, and yeah. and um, and yeah, and 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 then in private we would escape to these, you know, the world of our parents, the the private parties and private the parties, yes, yeah. and the food and the family all hidden away now, um, you know, and and so there's a bit of a cognitive kind of disconnect there, I think, for mm -hmm. us and my generation. You know, who are we as Iranians, and why is it that in such a seemingly, I guess, modern country where my dad and all the men that I know wanted me to get an education as yeah. a woman and where women are mm -hmm. outspoken and, and, and um, you know, they want to use their talents and they sure. have this great education. Why are we forced to be second class citizens now and live under Sharia law and, and, you know, wear these degrading costumes that just basically make the male gaze our entire priority in life and in our, you know, in our places of learning? Um, and in our places, of, in public places. And so it, I think for me, it was something that made me angry. It made all of my friends angry. It made my generation angry. And here we are now, and the generation that's younger than us is saying enough, mm. you know? And, and my generation too is going out there with them, with their daughters and mothers and sisters and saying, you know, we don't want this. Yeah. Maybe we never wanted this. Um, but, you know, I don't think this is about um, a little bit, a few more rights for women and about how the Islamic Republic treats women and women's rights. I think it's about getting free from under religious law altogether. So yeah, do you know, I think I'm, that's I'm, absolutely right. But yeah. can, can I just read? Please. There's, yeah. there's a couple of things I just just to reinforce what Dina said. I mean, I don't think it's it's principally about the veil. I mean, the veil is symbolic of a yeah. wider issue that women are treated as second class citizens in the country and they don't want it. So some of the protests have actually been by quite religious women who said you know, we don't want to be treated like slaves in our own country. Yeah. I mean, it's got nothing to do with them about removing the veil. But I think also Dina's absolutely right that it's much broader than this. I mean, I think this is the sort of the tip of the spear that what you're seeing here is a fight for rights. And it's a sort of a fight for almost a, 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 a possibility of living your... Things that we take for granted. Yeah. You know, the possibility of living your life with a degree of safety and security in your own country without being constantly bothered by people telling you how to think, how to dress, how to look, how to, you know, these various things. And I think that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a very, it's very interesting that a younger generation who'd known nothing 
but the Islamic Republic, but more than that, have known nothing but the Islamic Republic at a particularly repressive time, <laughs> yes. have yeah. now come out, you know, 16, 17-year-olds, and saying, we don't want this. Yeah. But, but they also see the world, I think, you know, through their phones, and they yes. understand yeah, how right. the rest of the world lives. So this is really important, mm. and I, I want to come back to this about how that younger yeah. g- generation see the world. Connect. And, and, and that's really important. Can I just, very, just to sure. give people the fuller picture, and you, know, you said something really interesting about pre-1979, yeah. Iran. I want. I want mm. to ask Ali about. It. Well, because I I'm think. I'm old enough. Well, and yeah. and, and, yeah. and and you were born in the yeah. year in, in the year of the revolution, Ali. You weren't. Um, yeah, that's right. But 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 I think one thing that's really important here is that there may be some people thinking they'll watch scenes from Iran. It's been forty three years, yeah. and they'll think, well, it's always been like that. But it wasn't but it always hasn't. like that. Can you just, Ali? I'm going to ask you first. Can you just paint us a bit of a picture? about what was Iran like pre-1979? And I think, Dina, you, you referred to the Iran that your, that your mum and dad would have known, that of, of your parents, your grandparents' so, generation. So, I mean, you know, Iran went through a process of modernization, you know, yeah. throughout the 20th century. I mean, not all of it perfect by any stretch sure. of the imagination. Yeah. But what you had was a degree of secularization. You had, obviously, the, the, the um, removal of the veil. You had, mm. you know, uh, uh, a certain amount of, 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 of emancipation, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, and, and yes, while it was politically, I think, I, I think we have to be realistic about it. I mean, obviously, politically, it was quite restrictive under, certainly in the late Pahlavi period, uh, the, the, the late Shah. But in sort of social terms, it was much, much more liberal. I mean, in social terms, certainly, and you get, I mean, it was a it was a place where people were quite used to not wearing, mm-hmm. you know, these sort of restrictive Islamic uh, dress. Now, in the sixties and seventies, or certainly in the in the in, in the run up to the Islamic Revolution itself, um, the 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 last sort of government before the revolution basically allowed people to decide. You know, there were people who did wear the veil. Yeah. There were people who didn't wear the veil. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't. They didn't assume a French model, shall we say, mm-hmm. of, of of being very sort of uh, instructive about what you could and could not wear. But then, obviously, you know, after the revolution, what was interesting was that uh, the revolution was not fought over this issue of actually imposing the veil they suddenly decided after the revolution they would and one of the first demonstrations against Ayatollah Khomeini was actually women I mean women coming out and saying hang on a minute this is not the revolution we fought for so you know the process of reveiling women in that sense was a process that really occurred during you know the early years of the Islamic revolution and war you know so they used the war as an excuse to to basically impose so this reveiling of women the first demonstrations did Talk to us a little. I mean, you've yeah. talked about your school. Tell us a little bit. What's it like to be a woman in Iran nowadays, or what was it like to be a woman in Iran in the nineties, the noughties? Yeah. You know, paint, I, paint us a picture of sure. them. You know, I mean, I think the word I would use would be, in many ways, confusing. And yeah. I think, it's, right. and I think it is because just yeah. we are told so many different stories about who we are. I mean, one of the earliest memories that I have of of hijab is, you know, I have a family that comes from half of them come from a city and half from a village. My father's family are, live in a village and it's very provincial and I would go to the village on the weekends and my grandmother wore a a kind of provincial veil it wasn't the Islamic Republic veil but it was one with flowers etc there were a pile of the other you know chadors for people to pick up and put on the house chadors and the women wore them and I started to follow her around and put on this veil as a plaything. it was a comfort and you know at the same time you know this was shortly after all of these uh, protests had happened and the women had been reveiled as Ellie said and, and um, my mother was so very upset. She's, my mother was a doctor. She was very well educated. And she was a very newly forced under the veil in her 20s. And yeah. 
she kept seeing this happen. And one day she walked in as me and my grandma were playing and she tore that veil in two and walked out. And I think that that story Mm -hmm. really shows what women felt. You know, she Mm -hmm. here was a person with um, an MD. Here was a person who wanted to work and live and, and, and determine her own life. And her daughter was taking the symbol of this thing that she hated, which shouldn't be the symbol of that. It should be the symbol of like, say, my grandmother's life and her choices and her um, her personal religion, et cetera. And, And here this was kind of being thrown in her face. I think in that sense, it was very confusing for her. It was very confusing for me growing up because there was this constant you know, narrative of you're going to determine your own life, you're going to um, have a career, you're going to make uh, your mark in the world. But at the same time, the government was saying something very different. You're, um, this is how you must dress. You are inferior to men. You're second-class citizens. Your word is less in court. You yes. have less property. Um, and, and I think it's 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 just very hard and very degrading. I, I had a little brother too, and I watched him go to school um, before we escaped the country. And you know, I just kept asking myself, why why does he get to be treated this yeah. way, and I have to be treated this other way? Um, when you say privately that all that matters is how hardworking we are and how clever we are and how um, and what we do with our days. So I'm going to ask Ali in a moment about you. You, you talked about that. The, the, the grave threat. But before I do that, I want you to talk, the grave threat is coming from these demonstrations. Mm-hmm. So, Dina, before I go to Ali, um, j- just to build on a mm-hmm. point you made earlier on, can you tell me what's driving these young women, actually not just young women, but, but young men and people from every Everyone. part of society to put their lives on the line and sometimes pay the ultimate penalty? Mm-hmm. Um, can, you, can you talk us through a little bit of that? And, 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 and don't hold back. I think it's, 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 it's useful for people to Have I to been be holding aware. that? No, but I think it's useful for people to be aware of the, of the brutality that they're yeah. facing yeah. and the risks that they're putting. Yes. No, this, this is not, it's not like... You or I go out <laughs> campaigning in the streets here. Yeah. You know, they're putting I, their lives on the line. Yeah, and I think we're just done with the kind of the malocracy. I mean, the... the it, Say it's that just, again. Go on, you were done with the malocracy. The malocracy, yeah. Um, you know, we are done. I mean, this wasn't what we wanted. And I'll give you a little bit of context in a minute. But, you know, when again, when I was a kid, there was one day when my mother, um, we were in a car and my brother in the middle of traffic ran out into the street. And she ran out after him. Her veil slipped. The morality police came and immediately, like, yanked her out of the car and started berating her. This happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. And we've had enough. The women have had enough. Uh, the men have had enough. We yeah. want to live a modern life. And and the context that I wanted to tell you a little bit about is I actually wrote a piece about this recently in mm. um, New York Magazine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people... Tell in us the, about the piece if anybody's looking for it. Um, it's it's um, called... Uh, if you Google my name and secularism in Iran, it's called uh, Why Is It So Hard to Believe in a Secular Iran yeah. um, in New York Magazine a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, I think most Western people believe that Iran is a religious population, a deeply religious Mm -hmm. population. And and it's easy to believe that because you see that they have a theocracy in place. Um, But of course, people don't delve into the history of how that theocracy came to be. Now, over the years, uh, a lot of um, very well-respected surveyists have gone to Iran and tried to figure out how religious the population is. For example, Gallup and Pew and the World Values Survey all said that Iran is highly, highly religious, like in the 90s, something that does not mesh with the people's experience because we all know that everyone has kind of a display Quran that they wave around when the the moral police visit but really um, you know we're 
a very diverse nation, a very um, modern nation, very, uh, there's a lot of secular people in our country. So recently, and what the piece is about, is there was a couple of researchers in the Netherlands who decided the reason we're getting these kind of results is because Gallup and Pew and World Value Survey, they go door to door and they ask people in a theocracy, how religious are you? <laughs> okay, <I can laughs> Which see, yeah. is absolutely absurd because people aren't going to tell the truth in that instance. Yeah. You don't know if that's an agent of the Islamic Republic. So That's a really interesting comment on polling and it's a well-documented problem yes, with polling absolutely. in places like Russia and China yep. and Iran yep. and um, the problem though is that they feel they have to go for face to face in order to get a representative sample and not have people self-selecting in yeah well this these academics actually went and did a viral online survey and they corrected in the ways that you know Pew said are actually really um, rigorous mm -hmm. they corrected their data to make sure it represents a whole population and lo and behold what did it show not a religious population you know wow. a population that's actually uh, widely secular and um, i won't go into more detail on that except to say that that the islamic republic is not what you know a free people of iran would choose for themselves it's not a, the government that they would that represents them that they would want and i think that's what's happening now a reaction to that you know they want something that they've chosen represents them. Well, that yeah. leads us nicely onto the point I asked Ali to, to, to build on, which is you mentioned this point about this being a really significant threat. Can, can you just build upon that? Just, and, well, and, you know, building on what, what yeah, Dean no, has I mean, just I, outlined I think, us I, too. I think the important, the, the important thing to stress here for, for listeners as well is that this is building on a series of protests. Mm -hmm. this, is, uh, this doesn't come out of nowhere. You know, it's not yep. just the sub... It's not the first time the Islamic Republic is facing a sort of a protest of its population. I mean, we had enormous protests back in 2009 with the Green Movement. Yep. Um, and since then, we've had a series of protests, even in between the sort of more violent uh, protests that have taken place, there have been strikes, mm -hmm. people haven't been paid, the economy's in a mess, there's massive mismanagement. Um, they haven't been able to, to resolve their nuclear dispute with the West. Mm -hmm. um, it's heavily sanctioned, obviously. But I think fundamentally what people are fed up with is that the government is corrupt. I mean, it, it is massively corrupt. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're fed up with it. And I think, you know, Dina sort of expressed it very well. I mean, people are just simply angry. You know, they're mm -hmm. angry at this. And if you look at some of the commentary coming out now, what's very striking also is that it's now spread, you know, there are very popular figures in Iran, sports people, actors, yep. others, all coming out in support of the, of the demonstrators and voicing some pretty, you know, hard-headed commentary and for me certainly as someone who's studied Iran for a, for, for a long time what I find very striking is that the motifs the 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 arguments they're using are all very strongly nationalist I mean they're they are Persian sort of idioms that people are using then there's nothing Islamic about this at all yeah. so 10 years ago if you were looking at the demonstrations then people would go out onto the terraces mm -hmm. and shout God is great as, yeah. a, as a way of challenging the government you know now nobody is shouting God is great. People are basically saying, you know, that you know we love our country, Iran. You know, we are together. You know, we want to take our country back. Interestingly yeah. enough, um, you know, it's 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 a it's a, a fascinating sort of extension, in a sense, of 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 a, uh, of a protest movement. And the, I suppose, from the other side, the government seems to have no response to it. I mean, this is the thing, other than shooting people. I mean, that's basically So that's it. interesting. Can yeah. I just build on that with yeah. you for a moment? Yeah. So could you talk to me a little bit about the demographics in Iran that, that, mm. that people might not be aware of? What, what, what does Iran look like? Well, I mean, it is, like? it, is, and just secondly, it is young. 
It is I mean, young. It, so, is a, it is a young demographic. So that's interesting. So yeah. it's young. And, 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 and talk to me a little bit more about the government response to this young population who are, who are protesting. Well, you see, the government... So basically, there is a... It is... I think the protests are undeniably now being led in many ways by younger people. Yeah. I wouldn't want to overemphasise that sort of demographic element because we've had a very young population for quite a while. Okay, fair and then, enough. to be yeah. honest, in some ways, you know, these have... In some cases, previously, they've petered out or they've been crushed. Okay. But nonetheless, that demography is quite interesting. And, it, and for me, it's certainly interesting that a group of people, as I said, who have known nothing but the Islamic Republic mm -hmm. and have been fed nothing but indoctrination by the Islamic Republic have still come out, you know, and, and, and protest for values that we find very familiar. Yeah. Um, the, the, the government's attitude, really, and this is some, an angle we haven't really looked at yet, is that it's, it's, it's really doubled down on, a, on, a, on an ideology which is um, basically sees, as, sees everything as foreign-inspired, mm -hmm. Um, sees everything as being sort of like uh, some sort of conspiracy, yeah. doesn't see itself as responsible at all, really, for what's going on. Some people do say things, to be honest, but ultimately they think, you know, if you listen to the Supreme Leader, the, the chap in charge, he says this is all being, you mm -hmm. know, scurrilously, you know, the British, the Americans, the Zionists, you know, whoever else, Saudis, whatever else you want to do. Um, it's all to do with them. And then the other interesting thing about them, of course, in the last six months, which has added a further dimension, I think, to this whole protest, is they've also doubled down in their support of Putin. So you've got this really peculiar situation where the Iranians are now, you know, almost in some sort of like symbiotic relationship with Putin, who's also got this sort of self, sort of this, not self, but a sort of a loathing of the West. And th this sort of Iran-Russia axis is quite, quite interesting on that. And they see the internal, dis the internal problems as, 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 as really foreign-inspired. Whereas, of course, for most Iranians, that's not the case at all. So, Dina, what, what are your friends telling you about the points Ali raises mm. there about corruption, about a government mm. that's seen as increasingly out of touch and aligning itself to, to Putin and yeah. other yeah. autocratic I mean, regimes? I feel like the, what I'm hearing from... Iranians inside Iran, mm -hmm. it meshes really well with everything that Ali is saying. I think the thing that they're worried about, the thing that upsets them, is that they think that the West misunderstands them and what yeah. they want. Yeah. And I think part of the problem is that, you know, um, when because of the fact that the Islamic Republic kind of spews this disdain for the West and Western-born mm -hmm. ideas, they're afraid that then Western people are always kind of saying, well, you know, the Islamic Republic will respect a grassroots effort, but they won't respect if we, you know, have any kind of intervention or if we say anything. But that's exactly what the Islamic Republic wants, because they're going to call everything, yeah. you know, foreign-born. They're yeah. never going to admit that this is something that is very much rooted in Iran. It's very much rooted in Iranian frustrations. And so I think most of what I've been hearing is Iranians saying things like, why is the Western you know, media, why is the Western public misunderstanding us so fundamentally, misunderstanding what we want, misunderstanding that what we want is exactly what they would choose for yeah. themselves, you know, like, like not so that common humanity yeah. and, exactly. and wanting the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, uh, and I have to say, you know, a lot of times I think in the West, uh, there's a little bit of a fear of seeming Islamophobic, you know, if you criticize yes. too much. Well, it's That's not interesting. You're both agreeing on that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no. It is, I mean, I, I've actually talked to, I mean, early on when I was trying to talk to a couple of journalists and they said, one of them actually asked me and they said, you know, we thought that the veil was part of Iranian culture. And uh, yeah. we thought that, and I would sort of say, well... For anybody you know, listening I, to this, you don't, you're not quite <laughs> getting Dina's facial expression. I, you know, I was sort of saying, that I, I don't know where you got that impression from. I mean, I know where you got that impression from. But, you know, I mean, for me, it was quite interesting that there was a sort of a, a I wouldn't say a steep learning curve, but they certainly had to catch up. Yeah. Because people haven't been looking at Iran. as you, I think, as you quite rightly said when you, we started this, 
people have been looking elsewhere. Well, that's why we're doing this. Yeah. Look, we don't have too much sure. time, so I, I, I want to get... Can I firstly, and it would be remiss of me not to do this, um, Dina, you and your family fled mm -hmm. um, the, the regime, and I know we're talking about Iran, but given everything that's going on, can you talk to us, just given limited time, and I see your badge, yeah. talk to us a little bit about, you know, why you fled and, and what were your lived experiences as a as a refugee and I have to say and please give a plug for your excellent book which I think ev ev everybody should read as well in terms of just getting an idea about refugees and why people become refugees yeah. in that experience yeah um, happy to um, so we were um, you know as I said I was born in Iran and lived there eight years throughout the war but my during that time my mother converted to Christianity yeah. and while there's a lot of different religious um, minorities who get different amounts of persecution I guess um, yeah. in Iran being a Muslim who converts is pretty it's much a, the worst it's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah it's pretty bad yeah. and and so my mother was arrested she was threatened with execution mm. there was a lot that happened and so we ran um, we ran um, at, at first, I guess um, we um, just went to Dubai as tourists and we blew through that visa and applied for refugee status. And then we lived in refugee um, camps and we were on our way, I guess, between Iran and America for yeah. 16 months before 16 we were ex yeah. accepted. And so I, the badge that I'm wearing is Refugee Support Europe. It's um, a, a, an organization that I uh, love very much and I'm a trustee of that organization. Um, because their mission is to provide aid with dignity. One of the things that I noticed, my mom noticed, we all noticed when we became refugees is just how much our status in the world had fallen, how you know we were respected people before, you know, an mm. academic family, and suddenly we were just displaced people without a home. Yeah. Uh, often people threw cans of food in a parking lot and you know old clothes and things. And so refugee support provides all of the things that refugees need, but with dignity and beautiful stores. Um, and I actually write about them in my last book, The Ungrateful Refugee, yeah. where I talk about this experience. And, 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 um, and then a little bit, I guess, in my next book, which is called Who Gets Believed, um, which is coming out in March. Good, thank you for that. Ali, just at the end, I'm going to ask each of you a quick question. Ali, difficult question to ask. People are watching this. What comes next? You know, what's, mm. What should we be looking out for in 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 Iran? Well, the first thing I'll say is that uh, despite the fact that we all live in this very accelerated social media world, um, these these are processes and not events. So yep. I think people okay. get very anti. You know, they get they sort of mm -hmm. say, "What's going to happen tomorrow? Yep. Will it have?" I say no. I mean, if you look historically, you know, the historical experience in Iran is 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 these often take a year, eighteen months, whatever. Okay. I mean, there's a process that takes place, and of course. Uh, this could be longer, it could be shorter. I've often argued, and I'll argue again, that in my view, the Islamic Republic of Iran, you know, metal fatigue has set in. Now, what does that mean? It means it could happen, unravel tomorrow, it could unravel yep. later on, but that, that's a fact. I think that, um, you know, we, we, for me, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but it's going to be a long tunnel, is basically. And I think, I think people that need to pace themselves for what's happening. Uh, the, the current regime really has nowhere to go. So it, uh, you know, and it, it, it's got its back, backs against the wall. So I think it's, 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 it's very difficult to see, you know, uh, this happening in a, in, a, in a, shall we say, a smooth and rapid process. Okay, just one last question for sure. you. And look, as we started, yeah. a lot going on in the world. Yeah. You know, people have got limited attention. We understand that. People are listening to this and they want to know more. What would you recommend as a, come on, give us some reading and listening material, Ali. 
Oh, well, I mean, you know, well, apart from Dina's uh, books. Of course, no, well, well, Dina's, well, all of Dina's <laughs> books. And don't be modest. Don't be modest. Well, I mean, I, well, I will say this, and I, I think I'll say this actually. Uh, uh, my late colleague, Michael Axworthy, wrote a fantastic yep. book called Empire of the Mind. And yep. I think it's a wonderful book uh, covering the history of uh, um, Iran from, you know, Zoroaster to the present. Uh, mm. it's, that's a wonderful book. And um, for those who'd like a slightly shorter version, they can have a look at my own very short introduction, but that is very short and quite different. Um, but yeah, I would, I would recommend actually Michael's book. I think okay. for someone who really wants to get a sort of a, you know, a, a good, thorough you know, understanding of the country, where it's come from, and where we think it might be going. Thank you. People keep and giving me that book for Christmas, by the way. I have five have copies. Five of copies? <laughs> well, that's reassuring. I'll, I'll take one. I'll take one. Dina, last word to you. Um, you're in touch with friends and family. You have that lived experience as, as, as a refugee. What if, if people are listening to this podcast and you want them to remember something from it, what, what, what would be your final message to, to people who are listening in on this about what's going on in Iran? Um, I would say don't, you know, I guess don't confuse the message or misunderstand the message and this isn't some small thing that's happening about like some little statute or whatever mm. continue you know this is a, a revolution and and hopefully you know um what we hope for is that this will be the end of the islamic republic please keep your attention on these stories yeah. please don't look away you know it, it just you know breaks my heart to watch it drop in the in the headlines yeah. you know for other things that feel much much less important i think a, you know, to world history. And so I think um, the thing I would tell everyone to do is keep reading about Iran, keep supporting Iranians, and, and um, you know, um, I guess try to pressure your governments to help them. Yeah, that's a really good way. Ali, Dina, I thought that was really illuminating. I wish we had longer, yes. um, but thank you so Trevor's much for taking time. Exactly. Here, Stephen. We, we could have gone on forever. I know exactly. you could have done. That's it. <laughs> but, know, I was going to tell you. I was going to quickly ask you. Did you see the woman who wore the Zoroastrian necklace on Iranian television? A couple of like it, no, no. I'm, this was a couple of years ago. So like yeah. what Ali was saying uh, about the you know. No, they're going around with banners and exactly. stuff. Exactly. Very, very. I mean, it's quite interesting it's, on the nationalist stuff. It's actually. really, really yes, interesting. It is. Yeah. And actually. I have to say, reflective of the rich and diverse community that we're lucky to have in St Andrews, where we've got so many Iranians here too, and and we had the and we had the vigil recently as well. So great to have you both here today. Thank you. Great, thank you. Thanks. And thanks to you for listening in today.